When Joe Biden and congressional leadership scheduled a big meeting this week to talk about the debt ceiling, there's only one person I wanted to talk with about it. Jordan Weissman over at Semaphore. So let's talk about the debt ceiling. Fine, let's do it. Okay. The last time we talked to Jordan, it was January. And now, just like then, Republicans are refusing to raise the debt limit without an agreement to slash spending. The only thing that's changed here is that the country's inched closer to the brink of insolvency. Jordan says you can kind of think of these new negotiations as akin to what happens around closing time at your local bar. Even if you've spent all night avoiding that person a few seats down, when the clock's ticking, priorities change. You know, McCarthy's thing is that it's been months and months and months that he's been offering to talk to Biden about the debt ceiling and Biden's been turning him down. And, you know, we didn't have to wait all this time for negotiations, which... Because he's just not that into you, Kevin. Yeah, he's just not. Well, now he's now he's a little bit more into him. It's the, <laughs> it's 3.30 a.m. in the bar and Biden's <laughs> thinking of finally buying Kevin a drink. It's just me and Kevin. <laughs> it, we're at that stage of negotiations. Looking at video footage of this meeting and the press conferences afterwards, the president and the Speaker of the House seem to have had a pretty awkward date. Republicans and Democrats emerged separately, and Speaker McCarthy, he seemed aggrieved. I didn't find progress um, in this meeting. Staff will continue to meet, and we'll get back together on Friday, and hopefully the president then can change the path of the last 97 days. With that, let me open up with questions. Yes, ma'am. He came out of the meeting and was like, I don't think we got anywhere. My take is a little bit more optimistic. If you listened really carefully to what they were saying afterwards and kind of you, know, you squinted a little bit <laughs> afterwards, you could kind of see how maybe there's almost a possibility of a deal shaping up that's similar to what some people in Washington have been talking about. So I don't think we're at like the all is lost stage. But how many days does Washington have to solve this problem? I mean, you know, we don't know exactly, but, uh, you know, Janet Yellen has said that the X date, which is basically the default date, uh, D-Day, as I have now started calling it mentally, could be as soon as June 1st. That's that's pretty soon. That's like, what, three weeks? Yeah, three weeks to potential Armageddon isn't a lot of time, <laughs> admittedly. It's going to get wild. Yeah, we'll definitely get wild. I feel confident. Yeah, I, I feel confident that we're at least going to see a six on the wild meter Today on the show, where all this debt ceiling gamesmanship is headed, I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So we've talked before about how the debt limit is this silly, anachronistic thing, like no other country does exactly what we do, make their legislature vote on whether they're going to borrow money that they've already agreed to spend. Nevertheless, here we are. And like, just 
just because we should say this out loud, to raise the debt ceiling, we need both the House and the Senate to agree on how to do that, and the White House too, because Biden would need to sign whatever legislation they pass. But the House is controlled by Republicans, Senate is controlled by Democrats, hence we're at this impasse. Let's go back a little bit, because going into negotiations this week, the Republicans, or at least House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, they did have a plan they were working off of, right? A place they wanted to start. Can you tell me about the bill that passed the House a few weeks back? Sure thing. So at the beginning of all of this, the question was, could Republicans actually even pass their own debt ceiling bill? Like, can they agree among themselves? Right. Was it like the Republicans are a notoriously fractious group and they have a very small majority, which gives them very little room to for error and little room for Kevin McCarthy to navigate. And, you know, any five people can basically veto a bill um, if it's going to be party line on their side. And they can anybody can basically call for McCarthy to be ejected from the speakership at any moment. So that makes things a little tricky, too. And Kevin McCarthy started bringing people into his office like one by one, is my understanding. Yeah. I mean, he's he's trying to whip up as keep as much support as he can. And so there was this question, could Republicans actually agree amongst themselves on raising the debt ceiling? Many of them had never, ever, ever voted to raise the debt ceiling under any circumstances. Hmm. Uh, I think there were about 16 of them who had never done it before. And so they started crafting this bill. And what came out of it was sort of a a Republican wish list, right? After a lot of haggling, you got this piece of legislation that would basically repeal all the important parts of Biden's signature climate legislation, the Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah, it takes a sledgehammer to Biden's agenda. Yeah, I mean, it, it, so it junks all the all the subsidies for green energy and and other such things from that bill. It would also just slash a lot of the federal budget, what's known as discretionary spending. So that's stuff that gets negotiated every year. Um, it's not stuff like Social Security that is just automatically spent, and you know that's permanent spending. But discretionary spending, things like you know a lot of things for education, veteran services, things that are part of the federal budget, it it would have you know imposed some very very deep cuts and capped further growth in the future. Again, there it would have put tougher work requirements on food stamps and Medicaid. It was this kind of catalog of, of conservative policy goals, and there's just absolutely no way this thing would ever pass the Senate, which is still controlled by Democrats, and no way President Biden would ever sign this. He's not going to repeal his signature climate achievement just after being held at gunpoint over the debt ceiling. So what did passing this bill do? Because if it's never going to pass the Senate and Biden's not going to really ever go for it, like what's this thing doing and for whom? Well, what it showed was that Republicans could pass something. Right. And here's here's why that was important. If Kevin McCarthy could not have passed a bill on on a party line vote, if he if he failed to do that, it would have proven that he needed to get Democrats to sign on. He basically would have had to stop this whole fight. Right. Like that would just be it. Like if Kevin McCarthy could not even pass a party line vote, it'd say Biden would be sitting there saying, why am I supposed to negotiate with you? You can't get your own party to vote for this. He now can at least with a semi straight face say, hey, I did my part. Now let's talk and negotiate. I guess. But like even this bill, it only raised the debt ceiling for a few months, like through next spring. So it's like, is it actually a win? You know what I mean? 
look, I kind of agree with you. Like, I do think it's a, a bit of a silly game here that <laughs> Kevin McCarthy basically gets credit for passing the absolute bare minimum, showing that, yes, if you repeal the Inflation Reduction Act and everything Biden just did on climate, he can get his members to go along with it. That doesn't seem like a lot to me. But again, it it, it is he did the bare minimum. Right. And so. The reality is that any deal that passes that actually has a chance of, of really being enacted here is going to require some amount of Democratic support. And that complicates things because we don't know how many Republicans will just fall off the bill once McCarthy starts making concessions and how many Republicans McCarthy is willing to lose. It's just it's a big question mark. We don't know at what point he starts fearing for his own speakership. We don't know if if someone tries to challenge his speakership, if Democrats will come in to save him. There are, you know, there are all, you know, while he tries to make a deal, there are just there are a lot of known unknowns here. Okay, so that brings us to the White House meeting this week. First of all, there's one this week, then the staff agreed to keep meeting, which seems like, okay, like we're gonna keep talking. We're gonna keep this warm, whatever that means. But I can't a hundred percent tell what they're talking about because, you know, Biden's been clear, I'm not going to negotiate over the debt ceiling. And McConnell, Mitch McConnell from the Senate, he's been like, we're not going to default. Even Kevin McCarthy went to the New York Stock Exchange and said, we're not going to default. So what is this negotiation? Like, what are they talking about? Do we know? Yeah, we, we're starting to get an idea. So there's this interesting two-step going on, right? Basically, what the Democrats, what Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer have said, is that they are not willing to negotiate over the debt ceiling. You know, as as they've put it, they don't want to negotiate with a gun to America's head, to their head. They think that these are blackmail tactics and they refuse to give in to them. However, they are willing to negotiate over the annual budget because that's something they do every year. Right. And they've said this repeatedly. We are willing to negotiate over the budget but we are not willing to negotiate over the debt ceiling. And so what a lot of people looking at this have said is, okay, we need to find some sort of just, you know, kabuki or kayfabe, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> where, <laughs> where, you know, the Democrats can say we are negotiating over the budget and Republicans can say we are negotiating over the debt ceiling and each side can just pretend that they are winning. And, you know, with, <laughs> right, like that's, that's really the solution. A lot of people are trying to figure, like Boy. think we need. And so what they said after the meeting is that their staffs are going to sit down and start talking about the annual budget and appropriations. And they are going to set the stage for Friday's meeting, which will still be about the debt ceiling, but they are going to start talking about the budget. And so you can see the first movements in this two-step, possibly, maybe, at least this is the first thing they would have to do for, for that to come to fruition. And at the same time, during their press conferences yesterday, they also kind of name checked a couple other areas of potential, you know, compromise. One thing that Republicans have asked for, and a, and a lot of people have speculated Democrats would be okay with, is rescinding a lot of unused COVID aid money that may still be sitting around and hasn't been spent yet. And this is a pretty small amount of money. It's like fifty billion, I think. It's it's like it's it's like a little it's change. Right. Yeah. It's not a lot. It's sitting around there. It hasn't. It hasn't been. It hasn't been spent. It's under. It's not quite under the couch cushion. It's sitting in the piggy bank. Um, <laughs> and Biden was asked about that yesterday during his press conference. He's like, eh, you know, we don't need it all. <laughs> that's, that's like we we don't need it all. Okay, so like that's something. Like okay, COVID money, and then another issue that has 
been talked about a lot is a subject of great speculation in Washington is energy permitting reform, right? This is a huge priority for Republicans. They want to make it easier basically to do fossil fuel development in the United States, right? And they, they passed a bill that would do that. And it's a very partisan bill. It was a party line bill in the House. But this is also an issue that has some appeal to Democrats. Um, it has a lot of appeal to Joe Manchin, who introduced his own permitting reform bill uh, last year. However, it also has some appeal to a certain class of climate activists and especially renewable energy companies because they want to make it easier to build uh, transmission lines that can connect solar and wind to the grid. And so a lot of people think that there is room for compromise on this issue as well. And if you make it sort of a slightly more conservative leaning bill than it ordinarily would be, that could be a big prize for Republicans. So it's actually not that hard to picture what a bipartisan deal would look like. It just looks nothing like what Kevin McCarthy passed a few weeks ago. It looks nothing like what Kevin McCarthy passed initially. But the catch, again, is how do you negotiate it without Democrats having to admit they are negotiating over the debt limit huh. like, and or with Republicans not having to let go of the idea that they are negotiating over the debt limit? It's the central question on all this really isn't so much what the specifics of a deal might look like, although that is obviously important and obviously contentious. But the real issue at the core of it is this philosophical question about whether or not the debt limit should be fair game, whether or not it should be okay to hold this thing hostage, or it should be okay to make significant demands in order to raise it. We'll be right back. about the characters here? Like Kevin McCarthy, Joe Biden. Do these guys know each other at all? No, not really. I mean, I don't think they do. No. I mean, I've my understanding is there's just like no relationship there. It's so interesting because that's kind of Biden's whole thing, creating relationships so you can make deals. And it's odd to me that there would be no relationship there. Yeah. I mean, just as far as I mean, like, I've, that's what I've heard. I mean, you know, I what I've been told is just like there's there up until now, there's been very little, you know, communication or or between their staffs or or anything <laughs> like they're just I mean, you know, when McCarthy's saying like Biden won't talk to me about the debt ceiling for months, like hasn't talked to me about the debt ceiling for months. He's not kidding. It's not like mm-hmm. there was like back channeling or anything as far as anyone knows. Yeah. Does that mean anything about where these negotiations are heading? The fact that these guys, they're not bros at all. You know, they're going to have to learn to get along enough or at least learn to talk to each other. Apparently, there was a lot of tension in this White House meeting because uh, Republicans started reading off the past comments that de- Democrats had made to about the debt ceiling like to Schumer and Biden and to Kim Jeffries, which is just like that is imagine being pulled into a meeting and having someone just read read your own words back to you at a table. And that's like, you know, Yikes. not exactly a way to endear yourself. And then apparently also there's been this whole contentious issue of whether or not the bill Republicans would pass would cut veterans benefits because it calls for these massive undefined cuts to the budget to discretionary spending, but doesn't it doesn't specify where they're coming from. And so if you just apply them across the board, then it's like, yeah, veterans benefits would get slashed and Republicans are saying, no, 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 we would never do that. And it's like, well, why didn't you put something in there saying you won't cut veterans benefits? And so uh, apparently McCarthy accused Biden of lying about that issue and of playing, you know, political games over it. And, you know, I mean, 
that made things a little bit tense as well. Uh, during the, his press conference, Biden was like, yeah, you know, three out of the four congressional leaders who were there were very polite and very mellow, but one was not. Ouch. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but um, he so I don't I don't think there's a lot of warmth there at the moment. But, you know, again, bar 3.30 a.m., you know, you never know how relationships might develop. <laughs> Things change quickly when it's late and you're bleary-eyed and, you know, the United States government might be about to default on its obligations. There was something else that happened at this meeting this week that offered a clue to where things might be heading with this debt ceiling fight. And that was that afterwards, Joe Biden seemed to say, listen, I can just keep spending the money. And I can do that because of the 14th Amendment, which seems like a pretty interesting pivot for him. So I disagree. I took his comments as saying, as suggesting he was hesitant. To, and he, if you listen carefully, he, he, he said he was pretty hesitant. So here, here's the deal, as Joe would say. The idea is that Biden could simply ignore the debt ceiling and invoke the 14th Amendment, which says the United the debt of the United States shall not be questioned, right? Because of this clause in the 14th Amendment, the debt ceiling is actually unconstitutional. And he could just keep issuing debt and keep acting like normal. And maybe this would end up in court, but hey, he might win the case. Well, and importantly, in the last few weeks, like sort of prominent legal scholars have said, hey, maybe we should pop open this idea, even though in the past it's looked real wild. So, right. <laughs> and not only not only have some prominent legal scholars said, hey, this might be a good idea, but, you know, it's been reported that Biden was considering it, that his staff were looking into this idea as sort of a last minute escape hatch. And so yesterday he was asked about the 14th Amendment and he said, I've been considering it. Right. And so that sort of made the initial headline like, oh, Biden's been considering the 14th Amendment. But then he followed up with that right afterwards, saying that it might not actually solve the problem that we have. And his exact words were, because I think it's important to hear specifically what he said, was the problem is it would have to be litigated. And in the meantime, without an extension, it would still end up in the same place. Because, you know, the problem is that the Republicans in the House would probably try to bring a lawsuit saying, actually, no, you can't just ignore the debt ceiling. And there's a good chance the courts would decide to hear this case. So it might create more chaos. I don't, it wouldn't cause more chaos than a default, but it might not solve as much chaos as we would like. And so Biden, I thought when he said, I've been considering it, I don't think he was so much putting the gun on the table as sort of actually taking it off. Now, again, Anything can change in in the moment, and maybe maybe they would resort to it. And if if the administration really does think this is a viable option, then I think it makes it a lot more likely that we really do go to the edge of oblivion here. Democrats in Congress have also been exploring a backdoor solution called a discharge petition. Back in January, a little-known representative introduced a 45-page-long potpourri of legislation. The bill would protect veterans from the IRS— help grandparents raising grandchildren, and extend small business loans. This hodgepodge has languished in committee for months, which could now allow Democrats to smuggle a debt ceiling amendment inside it and then bring this bill to the floor for a vote, even over Speaker McCarthy's objections. But Jordan, he is skeptical that this is going to be the silver bullet Dems are looking for. Democrats love the idea of 
like procedural trickery saving the day because like we all have a little bit of model UN debate kit in us. But like, I just wouldn't bet on that. Like there's no loophole in in the rules of Congress that's going to save us. I think it's going to be like, there's just going to have to be a political resolution to this. And it's not going to be involved like a, a cute parliamentary tactic. Do you think some Republicans want to go over the cliff? Not leadership, I don't think, but some Republicans, like, let's just throw cold water on this thing. Just see what happens. Yeah, there probably are a few. I couldn't I couldn't name them exactly right now, but there it's often said that there are some Republicans who are just like, don't think a default would be that bad and see it as just a big budget cut and they'd be fine with that. Yeah, there are probably a few out there, which is part of what makes all this so complicated. Again, if we actually go over the brink, I think at that point, a deal probably would have to get made pretty quickly because things would get hairy very fast and just everyone would be very upset. But it's hard to say who wins in that situation, right? Like if you look at polling at the moment, it looks like voters are kind of split on who would be to blame. It just kind of tracks partisan polarization like it does like everything else. So would Biden absorb most of the blame? Would Republicans absorb most of the blame? Would the public just say a pox on both your houses? I'm not sure, right? And so if that's the case, it doesn't tell us much about who would suddenly have more leverage in that situation and what kind of a deal you would get in the end. So it's not clear whose purposes that really serves, if anyone's. We might find out. Ugh, I don't. I'm. I'm still optimistic. We won't. I'm. I, I, I am. I've. I know. I'm, you can hear me descending closer and closer to my <laughs> usual gloom. But I am not going to do it this time. I'm holding out hope. Jordan Weissman, I'm super grateful for your time and your reporting. Thanks for coming on the show. I always love to be here. Jordan Weissman is the Washington editor for Semaphore, and that's our show. What Next is produced by Paige Osborne, Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Madeline Ducharme, and Anna Phillips. We're getting a ton of support right now from Laura Spencer. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little boost from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. You can go track me down on Twitter, say hello. I'm at Mary's desk. I'm handing things off to Lizzie O'Leary and the What Next TBD crew, and I'll be back in this feed on Monday. Talk to you then.